your Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 21 as we uh, continue our study looking at David's life here in 1 Samuel. We've got a, a couple more messages out of this book and then we'll be starting a new series in the fall when we uh, all get together again uh, that second weekend of September. All right, I'd like to read part of this passage this morning as we begin. 1 Samuel 21 verses 1 to 9. David went to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech trembled when he met him, and he asked, Why are you alone? Why is no one with you? And David answered Ahimelech the priest, The king charged me with a certain matter, and said to me that no one is to know anything about your mission and your instruction. As for my men, I have told them to meet me at a certain place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread, or whatever you can find. But the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here, provided the men have kept themselves from women. David replied, Indeed, women have been kept from us, as usual, whenever I set out. The men's things are holy, even on the missions that are not holy. How much more so today? So the priest gave him the consecrated bread. Since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that had been removed from before the Lord and replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken away. Now one of Saul's servants was there that day, detained before the Lord. He was Dog the Edomite, Saul's head shepherd. And David asked Ahimelech, Don't you have a spear or a sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's business was urgent. The priest replied, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, is here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There is no sword here but that one. And David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. Let's pray. Father, as we walk through this passage of Scripture this morning, we are reminded even as we sang today that these are indeed ancient words words spoken perhaps 3,000 years ago and yet are so current for us when we think about their example and their application. It was a different time and place, but you are the same God. And you work in ways to provide for your people in ways that we might not expect. And so, Father, as we think about that this morning, and we think about your goodness, your faithfulness and generosity, would you apply that to our life and our situation here? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we're going to be talking about finding resources in troubled times. We're going to look at the life of David as an example of that. As I was working on the message this week, I was thinking, you know, it is very timely indeed to be thinking about these kinds of things. I mean, these are difficult days for our country. We are in what is being described as an economic malaise. We just uh, are in this place where it seems kind of like being in the doldrums if you were sailing on the ocean and you're not making any headway. And you look at what's going on in our country right now where uh, the economy is just limping along. Unemployment is remaining high. They say it's about 9.5%. But when you factor in those that have stopped receiving unemployment benefits and have kind of fallen off the radar screen, it's about 16% is what they estimate that are out of work at this time. That's huge. 
you know, when you think about the impact that has on families and on our country and spending, uh, it's no wonder that things are sluggish right now. Jobs are scarce, hard to find. The market has been flat to trending down in recent days. Businesses and individuals are being very cautious about how they spend and what they do. And so if they can save, they are tending to save more now. And it's just quite a change from the 90s when we were in a period where it seemed like everything was going up and up and up, you know, kind of unlimited growth and potential and nonstop. I remember reading a cartoon in the editorial page at the end of the 90s or near the end where there was this young man who raised the question. He said, you mean the market can go down? <laughs> you know, it seemed like for a decade it, it was just going one way. And yeah, it has gone down up and down in a period of extreme volatility. And very likely you have felt the personal or the impact of that personally. I mean, uh, some in our church are out of work. Some are underemployed, working less than they would like. Some are in job situations where a company doesn't want to hire more people, so you've been asked to do more, and people are very stressed at their work right now because there are increasing demands being placed upon you until businesses feel comfortable with the direction that they can head. Salaries have been cut sometimes, and investments, if you have any, have taken a hit, especially people's retirement income. It feels like we have lost a decade here where things haven't really moved one way or the other. So what do we do with that? And where do we turn in troubled times? Where is our hope? Well, that's why I like this passage. You know, as we look at David's life, one of the things we're going to see today in chapter 21 into chapter 22 is that things could hardly have been darker for David. Uh, this is a very, very difficult time in his life. He had just separated from his best friend, really been forced to do that, and this relationship with Jonathan had been ripped apart because of his father Saul. Jonathan's father, Saul, was the king of Israel, and he did not trust David. He viewed him as a threat, and so he wanted David arrested and killed. And in this period in David's life, David is considered as an outlaw, and he is a fugitive. He is running for his life, and he is feeling very much alone. Where can he go? Who can he turn to? Who can he trust in this situation? It was a desperate time in his life. And in the middle of his trials, David found strength in God. And so can we. That's the message of this chapter. That just as David put his trust in God and found the strength that he needed, so can we when we are going through difficult times. Because our circumstances may be different, but God is the same God. And so as we walk through this passage, I want to point out three things from David's life. Number one, we can find strength in God's provision. And we see that here in verses 1 to 9. The first place where David went after he left Jonathan was to the house of God. And it was located in this village or this town called Nob. And he went to Ahimelech the priest. Now let me explain that. After the destruction of the 
tabernacle and, and uh, the city of Shiloh as this place of worship in Israel, it seems that the tabernacle was moved then to Nob. Nob is just north of Jerusalem, about a mile and a half. And it's an area now where the priests have settled. And we would see later, if we were in chapter 22, that there were at least 85 priests that were living there. And so here's this place of worship, the tabernacle, and that's where David goes. And he goes seeking help. Uh, and when Ahimelech meets him, Ahimelech is the priest, but he's afraid when he sees David alone. I'm sure he has heard word of what's going on here in this tension between Saul and David, and so he's like, David, why are you here? And why are you alone? Where are the men? It seems a little bit odd that you would be here. And David also isn't sure that he can trust Ahimelech. And so he creates a ruse. He tells him that he is on a mission from the king. Now, there may be some truth in that. David's not thinking of Saul as king here. He is thinking of the Lord as king, and he is on a mission that God has sent him on. But there's also this deception that is there because Ahimelech is going to think that this is a mission from Saul, and David kind of elaborates on that and says, you know, my men are in waiting. It was an urgent thing. It's secret. Nobody's supposed to know. Here's what's going on. David is desperate, and he asks for help. He asks for help from Ahimelech. Will you trust me, and will you help me? He needs food, but the only bread on hand is the consecrated bread that was placed in the temple every Sabbath. Twelve loaves of bread baked every Sabbath, brought in, warm, fresh, brought into the tabernacle as an offering to the Lord. The old bread was taken away, that bread was holy, and it was to be eaten only by the priest. That's all he had. And Ahimelech gave that consecrated bread to David. Now that was a pretty remarkable thing that he would do that. That he would take this bread that was holy, he questioned David about himself and the man and their purity at this point, and, and are they themselves holy or keeping themselves pure? And then he gave David the loaves, the five loaves that he had requested. Many years later, Jesus would refer to this event too. When Jesus and the disciples were questioned about their own use of eating and plucking grain on the Sabbath, they were harvesting, if you will, on the Sabbath day, and the Pharisees uh, said that was wrong. You guys shouldn't be doing that, and they questioned Jesus about it. And Jesus referred to this event. He said, don't you remember when David and his men ate the consecrated bread? It seems to have been on or near the Sabbath. And what Jesus was saying there was that the ceremonial law was not to be held so tightly that it would keep you from doing human good. Human need takes precedence over the ceremonial law. It is always lawful to do good on the Sabbath. It is always lawful to save a life on the Sabbath. And so what Ahimelech was doing here was very appropriate indeed. And David also asked Ahimelech if he had a spear or a sword here. Now I think that David knew about this. Because the sword that was 
there at the temple or the tabernacle was the sword of Goliath. And after that conflict where David had defeated Goliath, David had taken Goliath's sword with him for a time. But then he must have given it up, and it must have been taken to the house of God as a, a thank you to the Lord, if you will, and it was kept there. And so when David comes and he asks, you know, don't you have a spear or sword around here? I think he knew. And Ahimelech mentions that the only sword they have is the sword of Goliath, that there is none like it, and he gives it to David. Here is this priest giving help to David at a time when he is desperate. Five loaves of bread and a sword. It may not seem like much, but when you have nothing, it means everything. You know, I think about that in, in our life, too. Have you ever been in a situation yourself where you were really in need and you weren't quite sure how things were going to work out for you? And God provided a gift in an unexpected way and it just simply blessed your heart. I remember when Gail and I had come to the end of my internship uh, to be a pastor and we were waiting, wondering where we were going to end up to serve in a church. We had about a three-month window there where we were just praying, where our income was basically uh, gone at that point, and we were trusting God to provide, and not sure. Gail was working a temporary job as a secretary. I was looking for work, but again, uh, when you're looking for a ministry position and then trying to make things meet, uh, there's not a lot of different places that you can work in that situation. And so um, we had, one day, some friends of ours come to visit. They were a couple that we had known from college, and they came, and they uh, stopped by our apartment, and we talked and kind of shared what was going on. And when it was time where they were going to leave, they handed us a check for $500. And I couldn't believe it. I mean, uh, they were a young couple trying to make ends meet themselves, and I thought, how can you guys do this? And they wanted to do that as a gift for us. Well, that was huge. That was a huge encouragement to us. I mean, that gift didn't give us a job, and it didn't answer all of the questions that we had about what was God going to do next in our life. But it was a symbol of God's grace and that God knew and about our situation, and he would take care of us and he would provide. It was one of many answers to prayer that we would see in those months as things unfolded, and it was just a tremendous encouragement to us. Now, I think about that whenever I'm listening to KTIS radio, and they're talking about this drive-through difference that they do on the first Friday of every month, where they ask people to, you know, just consider buying the meal of the next person in line behind you at the drive-through, wherever you might be. Maybe it's just a cup of coffee, or maybe it's lunch, or something like that. And you hear these stories as they share them of how touched people are by that. Time and time again, people are just, you know, if they are in a situation where they are struggling, or they're wondering, does God really care? Something as simple as buying somebody's meal can be a huge encouragement. David rejoiced in God's provision for him. And so should we. 
every time we see God's hand work in our life and in our circumstances. Secondly, we find strength in God's protection. Listen to verses 10 to 15. That day David fled from Saul, and he went to Achish, the king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, Isn't this David, the king of the land? I mean, isn't he the one they sing about in their dances, that Saul has slain his thousands, and David is tens of thousands? And David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in their presence, and while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. And Achish said to his servants, Look at the man. He's insane. Why bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? And he sent David away. David went from Nob, this place where the tabernacle was, to the city of Gath. And if you remember Gath, it's one of the main cities of the Philistines. There are these five cities of the plain where the Philistines live. So he's going into enemy territory. Not such a good idea. I mean, you may remember, you know, here David is. He's hoping to go there to hide out. Maybe nobody will notice him. He'll just kind of slip in among the people, and he'll stay there a while until he can figure out what to do next. But Gath was Goliath's hometown, and David's carrying Goliath's sword. I mean, maybe he tried to hide it, but this thing's big. I mean, it's tall. It's probably about as tall as David is, and he's, you know, trying to slip in there. You can imagine trying to walk in or carry it and hide it, you know, and he's going into this hometown area. And secondly, it seems like David's uh, poster, if you will, was everywhere. Because even the servants are asking the question, isn't this David? I mean, isn't this the king of Israel? I mean, that's how they viewed him. They viewed David as a king. His reputation had preceded him. And they're asking the questions about it. Why are we helping this guy? David was very afraid, and he pretended to be insane. Now, some might say, boy, he must have been a very good actor because his ruse worked and he got out of there alive. But David knew it was the Lord who protected him. And David wrote two psalms about this event, Psalm 34 and Psalm 56. Sometimes when we read those psalms, you know, we just kind of go through it in the book of Psalms. Maybe we're having our quiet time when we read through it. And we don't always stop to think about the context of the psalm. But Psalm 34, for example, in the heading says that this was written by David when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away and he left. And so here it is. Psalm 34, listen to these words and think about it in this context. David said, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will be always be on my lips. And my soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. Can you imagine David saying, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this situation. This 
this was really dumb to come here. Oh, Lord, would you please help me and rescue me? And he said, those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. That's just part of that psalm. And you see, when David left that place and was able to get away from there, he took the time to thank God as he wrote out these words that become part of our Bible, our scriptures, as the Lord spoke through him. David worshiped the Lord and he praised him for his deliverance. Do we do that when we see God work in our life situation? You know, isn't it encouraging when we see God's hand of protection in our life? And I'm sure all of us can probably think of times when we maybe had a close call. I had one of those recently. <laughs> Two weeks ago, uh, Gail, Ben, and I were driving down in the city. And I had just gotten back from Ecuador. You know, Ben was with me on that trip. And we got back, and we had to run a couple errands in the cities. And so we're driving down there, you know, and I'm, I'm making the comment to Gail. I do this just about every time I'm out of the country and I come back. I go, I love driving here. You know, we've got lanes, we've got lines. People, you know, generally respect that and stay where they're supposed to be. You know, in Ecuador, it's really improved, and they're making new highways, and they are striping things, but people haven't quite figured out yet what those double yellow lines mean <laughs> that you aren't supposed to pass. And uh, people do that, you know, and you might be coming around a curve or you might be going around the mountains, you know, and stuff, and the worst offenders seem to be the buses and the trucks because they're just big, and, and they don't really care. Uh, Americo Saavedra, who I go with, you know, he said... Uh, he really doesn't want to go on buses down there and, and uh, travel that way because he said they spend most of their time in the left-hand lane at oncoming traffic. And <laughs> so uh, he was talking about that. Well, I get back, and I'm going, this is great. Well, I'm down in the uh, Maplewood area. We're down by Maplewood Mall, and they're doing road construction on White Bear Avenue there. And I'm just driving along, and... I'm, I'm going through an intersection, the light is green, you know, I got the right of way, I'm going through, and this young woman just made a left turn right in front of us as we're going through the intersection, and Ben in the back seat, you know, yelled, Dad, and, uh, you know, I saw it at the same time he did, and I slam on the brakes, and we go sliding into the intersection, screeching to a halt about six inches in before we hit this young woman who had turned right in front of us. You know, she didn't even look. She just went right on through the intersection. I don't even know if she knew what had happened. You know, it was one of those where I didn't even have time to hit my horn and uh, kind of say, hey, you know, did you notice this, uh, what you just did? And, uh, you know, I just thank the Lord for his grace that we were able to stop in time and avoid a collision there. But I was thinking about that afterwards. You know, we... Thank God in those times when we are protected from harm. But I wonder how many times we don't even notice it where God has protected us. 
just like that young woman driving through the intersection, kind of oblivious to all the stuff that was going on around her. And God in his grace protected. I also know that there are times when he lets us go through the storm. And the trial comes. There may be an accident. It might be an illness. It might be something that is devastating to our income or we lose our job or things like that to us. God is in both. He is there. At times he keeps us from harm and at times he takes us through the storm. And he provides in both cases. And he is there to give us strength and I think those times when he protects us are also times of encouragement that he will see us through the difficulties that we are going through. And I see that in Hebrews 11, for example, when God is there in both situations where there were some of those believers who trusted in him and they died for their faith. And there were others who were rescued from the mouth of lions or from their enemies or the hands of those that were trying to kill them. God is there and he is good and he is in both situations. And thirdly, what we see in this passage is that we find strength in God's people. We find strength in the fellowship and the encouragement that we have from God's people. In chapter 22, verses 1 to 5, we see another part of this story. David left Gath, and he escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers in his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. And all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their leader. About 400 men were with him. From there David went to Mizpah and Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, Would you let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? So he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him as long as David was in the stronghold. But the prophet Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold. Go into the land of Judah. So David left and went to the forest of Herod. It's an interesting time. David escapes from Gath. He goes back into the hill country of Judah. He is there in Adullam. It is in Judah where he takes refuge. And so he is there. Uh, he's kind of thinking about what's going to happen. David is feeling very much alone in this situation. And there in the darkness of a cave, he will write two more psalms, Psalms 57 and Psalm 142. And listen again to Psalm 57, to just a part of it. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, have mercy on me, for in you my soul takes refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends his love and his faithfulness. I am in the midst of lions. I lie among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. And he says, be exalted, O God, among the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Now imagine that. Would we do that? Would we, in the midst of our trials, write a psalm of praise to God? Can we praise God and glorify Him 
glorify his name in the midst of our trials. It's a remarkable thing. What did God do for David in response to his faith and his faithfulness? How did God encourage and strengthen David? Well, we have seen that he provided food for him. And he protected him from his enemies. And in this section, in chapter 22, he surrounded him with family and friends. His brother and his family, his household, came to him. Perhaps they too were afraid for their life that Saul would look for David among his family. And so they came to him. Not only that, but so did all who were in distress or in debt or discontent. All those who had not benefited from Saul's political reign, if you will, now went to David. Some 400 men, later it would be 600 men. David would develop leadership skills during this time. These men would become David's army or his corps who would fight with him. David went to Moab to arrange protection, safekeeping for his parents and you remember that David's great-grandmother Ruth was a Moabite, and so it may have seemed natural to go back to that land. And the prophet Gad came to David, and the prophet Gad would warn David and tell him to go back to the land of Judah, and he would become a lifelong friend of David and his ministry. God was providing David with these friends and family and a prophet who would be the support and strength that he would need. In one of the commentaries that I used in studying this passage, John Woodhouse made these notes. He said it's an interesting time in David's life, and when you look at 1 Samuel, one-third of 1 Samuel is devoted to David's fleeing from Saul. I mean, with so many other things in David's life, why would one-third of this book be taken up with David's suffering? He said also, seven psalms are associated with this period in David's life. Seven psalms that he wrote during this time that became part of our scripture. Some of those are messianic. But if you think about that, you know, about one-third of each of the Gospels is devoted to Jesus' suffering to the last week of his life when he suffered and died for our sins. Why? Obviously, God looks at suffering and trials differently than we do. We sometimes want to get out of those trials as quick as we possibly can or avoid them altogether. I mean, don't we? We'd rather not have to go through them. But it is in the midst of trials often that God comes to us so sweetly. His presence is so real in our life and our relationship with Him just is one times where we feel desperate we are clinging to him and we see God work in ways that we wouldn't see under normal circumstances God is there and he cares and he provides and he protects and he brings people to us into our life at that time who are a part of his answer for us to encourage and help us and surround us with his love what else was God doing in David's life he was refining him and shaping him. He was preparing David to be the king of Israel, a man after God's own heart. And he uses those kind of trials in our life to refine us and shape us and to prepare us for future service. 
credits good. He doesn't waste anything. And he uses those circumstances of our life to be a blessing to others. So how do we find God's resources when we are going through trials? And where do we look? And what do we do? Well, there's an interesting story that came out of the Spanish-American War concerning Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt would gain fame in that war for leading American troops to victory in this conflict with Spain. He fought in Cuba. There were battles also going on in the Philippines, South Pacific, and areas like that as well. But Teddy Roosevelt and his rough riders would uh, take uh, some significant victories in that short war. During that war, though, he was in need of aid for his troops. And he went to Clara Barton of the Red Cross, and he offered to buy some of the supplies that he would need for his sick and wounded men. And he was refused. And Roosevelt was troubled by that, and he asked, Then how may I get these things? I need some aid for my men. And Clara Barton said to him, Just ask for them, Colonel. Just ask. You don't need to buy them. They were given by grace. You know, it's the same thing in our relationship with God. We don't come to God and we don't try to manipulate Him or think if we do this or do that, then maybe God will be obligated to do this for us. We come humbly and we receive His gifts by grace and we ask. So if you're in a situation where you feel like you're struggling right now, I just encourage you to holding on to God, to trust Him, to ask for His grace and His provision or His protection or His healing, or for God's people to come alongside and to help and to, and to give thanks for that. Where do we find our strength? We find our strength in God, in His provision, in His protection, and in His people. May those resources be an encouragement to you today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that even as David realized in his life, uh, he was not alone. You were there, and there were your people. And I pray, Father, that when we go through trials in our life, that we too would realize that we are never really alone. That you are there, and when we call to you, you are waiting and to answer our prayer. You give grace. You give strength for each day. You send your people to be an encouragement. Father, I pray that you would do that over and over again in our lives and in our church. And we would be that kind of fellowship that really loves one another, cares for one another, and is there when we are going through difficulties in our life. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. Thank you for the evidence of that that we've seen. And we just commit ourselves to that.